welcome back to another week, another episode of Imposter. And this week, we are talking all about mentorships. We're taking a deep dive into what is a mentor and how to find a mentor. Yes. And we have another one of my acapella besties from college, Melinda Lim. Melinda is a legit computer science software engineer from a traditional path. So she's one of those rare birds that we haven't talked to yet and comes from the world of just the privilege of having that computer science background and the stamp of approval from Cornell saying she's a a legit engineer. So I'm really excited to hear about her experience with that and also her take on being a mentor, finding a mentor and all of that. So welcome, Melinda. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to see you. I know it's good to see you too. I have to say, despite despite that glowing um, intro and those credentials, it never stopped me from having imposter syndrome. <laughs> I had it so bad. Um, I feel like I've banished it for for the time being, but it creeps up in like insidious ways now and then. It's good for us to hear, though, because sometimes we think that you know, had we done things differently, our lives would be easier. But, you know, I think it's just unfortunately a common experience that a lot of women have in the industry. Yeah, I've actually met some men who also have it. I think it's just about work culture and the industry culture where it collects all these super smart people and you're in this room with everyone who's smart and you start wondering, hmm, how did I end up here? (laughs) I definitely struggled with it. So I guess a little bit of background on me, Um, like Taylor said, I studied computer science at Cornell, and until I sat down to prepare for this podcast interview, I didn't realize that the entire time I was there, I did not meet a woman who worked in the industry. So I I didn't think I was going to major in computer science. I actually went and I applied as a chemical engineering major my freshman year. I took an intro to chemi class, and I didn't like it, and I was like, all right, that's not for me. So on to the next thing. All the engineering students had to take an intro to computer science class. So I really liked it. Um, I had very little exposure to computer science before that. Uh, I I did take a programming class at my local university before I started at Cornell, Um, but it was very 101, just learning like loops and conditionals. Yeah, it's crazy. I feel like I wasn't a computer geek and I feel like that feels like a prerequisite to enter the field or to be like bona fide, passionate about the industry, but I I don't think that that's true at all. I think that there are a lot of things that matter more. It was hard because I didn't feel like I belonged. It's crazy to just hear that someone who is literally in the same, like in the computer science classes, learning all of the same things and getting the actual coveted degree still felt as though she was a little bit alienated, like not really, like something was still missing. I feel like a lot of people who major in computer science go in knowing for sure that they want to do it because they're maybe, they they have that head start, like where they're learning these things at a young age or even in high school, they're hobbyists and it's the kind of thing that they do in their free time. And I feel like that's even an impostery thing that kind of frustrates me even now where I do remember like earlier in my career feeling like I had a couple years of experience. If I was interviewing, the recruiters would say, oh, I want to see a side project. I want to see that you're really passionate. And I'm like, I work nine hours a day and I do this all day. Is that not enough? And I got the degree. Go on. <laughs> 
the side project stuff really drives me crazy and, and also makes me feel so impostery because I work with so many people that are like, oh yeah, I was just doing the side project over the weekend and I learned how to do this. And I'm like, I went to brunch and I <laughs> like watched, you know, Bridgerton that I definitely resonate with that. And it's it because then you start to feel like, well, shoot, if I'm not, you know, the most passionate about this then I'm never going to be the best. And, and these people are just have this leg up on me because they're always learning and studying and practicing, but I don't want to do that. And I don't think I would do that in any industry, honestly. Yeah. I feel like it's the kind of thing where I, I, I feel like imposter syndrome and like that, like side project thing and that feeling of, I guess, calibrating yourself against other people in the talent pool. I feel like that was so hard at the beginning of my career because it felt like what you described like oh I'm not I'm not doing that I'd rather go to brunch or have fun or see my friends or like do anything else but then I feel like as time goes on and you get older you kind of realize you know what it's better to have a more balanced life and work doesn't have to be everything what you do doesn't have to be everything so I I kind of see that petering off yeah so Let's fast forward. You've graduated from college and you have this amazing internship at Microsoft. And that was also your first experience with mentorship or with having a mentor, right? Yeah. So like I said, I I didn't know any women in the industry when I was a student. And that's so weird to me looking back on it. I already felt unsure if it was the right path for me. Like I knew I enjoyed it. I knew it was like challenging and frustrating as well. But I feel like also that was just school and the the environment of the university. And it's just kind of weird that, you know, I was in this silo thinking I'm going to apply to this job and having like never met anybody really who did it. So I think that was kind of strange. So I'm glad I'm glad I was able to like make the connections and like really convert in a way. I did meet the like a woman who worked in um, the industry when I it, uh, interviewed at Microsoft. So I did an interview in a blitz fashion. That's what they call it. I don't know if they do it anymore. Basically, they brought 20 candidates on site and we all met each other. There was an event the night before and I couldn't make the event because my flight was delayed or canceled or something. So I got in later. The interview was in the morning and like we all met in like this hotel lobby and they like took us in a bus to the campus and it was like your classic you know x measuring contest <laughs> where everybody <laughs> is trying to like look smart and uh put on a good face and like saying like oh did you do this practice problem like i've heard that they always have this practice problem it was like those kinds of conversations and I just remember, and maybe this is kind of like the first time that I ever had to do the imposter banishing. I was just like, you know, I can do this. Like, I, I'm just as smart as these people. And like, I know right now there's this like intimidation factor to it, but I'm like not going to let that affect me at all. I was like, I'm going to just stick to my script, which is like pretend to be confident and see where it takes me. And also I had nothing to lose. I mean, I, I was, I think that that also changes your attitude a little bit as well. Um, so I think I was maybe a little bit less in my head in that, for that interview. But I met Donna Sarkar. So she is like the first person I met in the industry who is feminine even, and like glamorous even. She's super successful. She's, she's visionary and she's 
a multi-hyphenate like before that was a thing like she's a, a young adult author and a fashion designer and I just remember having this very real like connection to her in the interview we did whiteboarding and then she asked me why I wanted the internship and I told her that I felt like my academic environment was competitive. I was just ready to collaborate. And I just remember she said, like, let's stay in touch regardless of the outcome. Like, here's my email. I feel like that was a big light switch moment for me. And, and frankly, meeting her changed my life. I associate her with that interview and getting the internship and that job. And so, of course, that changed my life. And, and I ended up working on her team as well. So it was just awesome having a big sister like person on the team and it really changed my idea of whether or not I belonged. I felt like that was the big impostery thing that I felt all the time. I was like, I just feel like I don't belong here. And I wish I could say it was lots of good reasons, but it was really just because I'm a girl. <laughs> that's, that's why I felt like I didn't belong. I imagine that must have been such a relief, Melinda, also to meet someone who kind of broke the mold of really like the only type of software engineer or programmer that you had ever seen since your schooling. And certainly when it sounds like the other interview candidates were portraying themselves to be, it's just so great to hear, first of all, that you had also that incredible moment of like insight and self-awareness where it's like you met this fork in the road where you're in this going through this crazy interview process and you had a choice. You could either get overwhelmed and kind of like succumb to the anxiety or literally go the other route and just kind of ignore it and push through the interview, which is which is crazy because it's one thing to have insight, but it's another thing to be able to act on it and kind of cancel out those those negative thoughts. Yeah, I I did feel looking around the room of the candidates, I felt like I'm one of the only few women in this room and you know, I could use that as an advantage. And I've I've read and like heard other people say this sort of thing like if you're a woman in, in the industry, you're going to be noticed and so use that as a starting point and, you know, take off from there. So I feel like that was a good that was a good example of that. Where I was like, okay, you know, this is my opportunity to show that I can do more than just solve a problem on a whiteboard. Like, you know, I can be a good teammate. I can think about the product. And, and these are the things that matter more in the long run than necessarily reversing a linked list. Or And those are the things that are usually attributed to women, like characteristics attributed to women. Like you mentioned that you were looking for collaboration. And I bet I, I, I doubt any of the men said that, you know, like I feel like yeah. they're, they're in there selling themselves on, on their technical skills and everything. And, you know, women often bring just that a lot of those soft skills that are totally just overlooked by male counterparts. Yeah. I feel like the soft skills, um, I mean, this is underlying misogyny, like soft skills are undervalued in our society, period, you know, in pay also like specifically mm -hmm. in our industry. And it's unfortunate. I was talking with my friend about it and I said, if I had a kid and I could choose between having my kid get like the best test scores ever mm -hmm. and like be the smartest person, like be so, so smart. Or if I could have a kid that has like the best communication skills and judgment, I would probably pick the latter. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like you can, you know, you, you don't have to be the best, but if you have good communication skills and judgment, that can take you really far in life. Yeah. And if you don't have them, you are such a difficult teammate to work with. Yeah. The soft skills I think are, are harder to learn because they're not as quantitative, right? You know, you don't take a test. You can study for a test and memorize the information and practice and all of that, but there's so much more subtlety and nuance involved in communication skills and like active listening. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely be better at it as as well. I feel like there's always room for growth, but for sure, I think that the industry is outgrowing this idea that you have to be a certain type of personality to be successful. And I think for a long time, there was even an idea that a successful or a good engineer is somebody who is not social. Like I, I've heard that that was something that recruiters were looking for in like, I don't know, the 90s. I feel like that's where all of these stereotypes came from. Yeah. Someone who just quietly gets the requirements, does their work, doesn't complain, doesn't rock the mm-hmm. boat, doesn't have opinions. Cause that like slows down the, mm-hmm. you know, product development process, but then you're not getting, you know, the input from people who are actually building the product that may have a lot of valuable product feedback. And here come me and Taylor mm-hmm. being like, um, can we not do this? Excuse me, I have a question. Excuse me, I don't think yeah. that this is going to turn out the way that you think it is. Yeah, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, I feel like sometimes that's the question that never even gets asked in the meeting. It's like, why are we here? <laughs> what is oh, I love, I love asking that question. Yeah. I, that's my favorite. I definitely see that in my work. Like I feel like my team and like the company I work at Uber now has had, you know, a fair amount of turnover and there are a lot of things that our team inherits and there are a lot of like assumptions about what everybody knows. So I feel like it's actually can be such a good exercise to like take a step back, reframe, re- like kind of narrate what's happening yeah, even I did that recently. We had um, a new person come on board and I was trying to do that to help bring him into the loop. And I was like, this is actually such a good thing to do while working from home because I feel like all those, you know, super subtle nuances are just, they're even harder to pick up over Zoom and remote working. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> Seriously. Oh my God. It's it's literally the yeah. worst. Yeah, it's hard. It's, I I think that some people can are good at it or can be successful at it, but it's not like coming supernaturally to me no, necessarily. No. And the amount of time that I spend trying to like decode people's inflections over Slack messages is like getting expensive yeah. to the company. <laughs> <laughs> I just ask. I just yeah. try and clarify. I'm like, I, I'm not going to lose anything by just like clarifying or asking these questions but yeah even I feel like we have these tools like Zoom and Slack and G Suite and I feel like we assume that Slack has saved communication team communication but I don't know I find like little things about it that are hard like the channel just keeps growing and then you have to like scroll back and get Mm -hmm. the context or somebody like pings me about something and at the end of the day I have to go and make sure all the threads are closed stuff like that yeah, no, no. I could I could complain about this forever, um, but we're not going to do that. So <laughs> yeah. to when you got into your internship at Microsoft, and did you say so? Was was Donna your 
mentor? Did you, would you consider her your personal mentor? Or did you have another mentor that was on her team? You know, I, I never asked her to be my mentor. And I think that that might've been one of the biggest mistakes. <laughs> if you read a lot of like career books, they'll say formalize the mentorship, but I felt so embarrassed and awkward asking and it, it felt like asking someone to be my valentine or something <laughs> <laughs> compared to that and I was like yeah that sounds about right um but think but- about how flattered you would be if someone you know like a recent <laughs> grad was like Melinda I would really love you to be my mentor you would be like oh my gosh of course that's true if I now it's flipped but I I felt like back then I was just I was self-conscious and she seemed really busy. I was like, I don't know. So she, I didn't report directly to her. The man that I reported to, she and him were peers. So it was good because we were on the same team. And I feel like your manager's peer can be a really great mentor because they are involved enough in what you do or like hear enough about what you're working on or know enough about the project that they have some context on the opportunities in your team, but they're not tied to your performance the way that your manage your manager is so that I feel like they can give you some of the softer things or they could maybe like spot different opportunities for you so not that that's like manager shopping but I feel like they can help you navigate you know the work streams that your team owns and get input on you know what you could be working on or what you could you could try working on or what's coming up or things like what that. do you think about like the difference between a female and male mentor. Like it seems like maybe having a female mentor for you really early on in your career helped shape your career and that you could see yourself being that. I've never personally had a female mentor because I've been the only female iOS engineer on any team I've ever worked on until this last October. So I've had no no one to choose from. But I wonder what your thoughts are are on that now. And like, do you look now to mentor women more so than men? Or like what do you what do you think about that? I think that you don't necessarily need to have the same gender as your mentor. I felt like that mattered for me early on. And I try and pay it forward by mentoring younger women or women earlier in their career because I know how much it meant to me. I've also mentored men, but it just depends on what you want to get out of the mentorship. You know, having a mentor who has had a similar path or trajectory or like interest as you, like that can be helpful. And sometimes you just like don't have the, you can't necessarily choose. (laughs) Your options might be more limited. I did, I did talk to, I reached out to, um, one of my friends who is a PM director at DoorDash, she's had like this super meteoric growth. So I asked her if she feels like there's fewer candidates for mentoring. And I did ask her specifically, are there fewer women? Because there are fewer women at the top. Like that's how it is. And she said, yeah, she said yes and no. She said that there were are just like fewer candidates. Um, but she said that it's easier to find someone who'll be a good fit. But she did say that now the majority of her mentors are male um, and to just stay open to mentors with different strengths and perspectives. I mean, I think it just depends on like who you click with and who you connect with. And that's one of my tips on how to find a mentor is like follow the sparks, you know, <laughs> if you talk with someone and you really click with them, like pursue it and, and be, I mean, I don't want to say aggressive about it, but <laughs> like, like, you know, it sounds like you're dating them. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, like definitely verbalize it. Say like, you know, I love talking with you. Let's set up like a, you know, regular sync or ask them to be your mentor straight up. If you're, if you need to formalize it or you want to formalize it, or you feel like you'll get more out of it. But I do think that personally for me, it's like most fun um, to have mentors who are women. Cause I just feel like they can relate to my experience better. So I definitely, I, I mean, that's definitely something I saw while working at Microsoft. Like uh, many of the women I met were in a later stage of their career, like more mature stage of their career. And it was very much like you're part of the club. <laughs> like there's so few women, uh, you know, and especially at a huge company like Microsoft, if you see all of the engineering org for Windows it, it in one location, it'll be like five buildings of people. So it's five buildings of engineers. <laughs> it's all men pretty much. <laughs> so you notice the women like, and so, you know, you know, and I always run in, I always meet women in the bathroom at work. That's, that's what it was at Microsoft. Like you just kind of run, like, run into them and you kept seeing them and eventually you get to know them. So that, that was cool. I liked that people were so open and like welcoming. And I think it's easy to like kind of get caught up in, your daily grind and like what you're dealing with. Um, so I do try and like take the time to, you know, notice people and like, you know, ask them, you know, are you new here? <laughs> do you, you know, how long have you been here? Who, which team do you work on? Things like that. And just like get lunch with people. So that's definitely my thing is like connecting with people and then just nurturing it, you know, nourishing the relationship. That's a great tip. If you're looking for a, a mentor that's your shares your same gender, just hang out in the bathroom. Stay in there for a little bit. See who comes <laughs> yeah. in. That may be where the magic happens. <laughs> that was where the magic was happening at Microsoft <laughs> for sure. It was really funny. And my friend, my friend still works there. So I feel like when I was there, like, you know, these formative years, Donna worked on my team. She was my manager's peer. And then they also um, seated me we, I shared an office with a girl who's my age. I would say that she's like traditionally like feminine and girly and, um, you know, we clicked and I feel like even just having that friendship, yeah. you know, matters. even just having one person like that you feel more of like a kind of like common shared experience with makes yeah. such a difference. I mean, that's why Monica and I clicked. Like you join a new company <laughs> and you're looking around like, am I do I, am I going to have any friends here? Like, who am I going to eat lunch with? It's, uh, it sounds so sad, but like, yeah. you know, it's sometimes it's a really homogenous group and you don't may not see your place. It makes such a difference. It, it really helps me felt, feel like, you know, I belong here. Like things that I'm experiencing are normal and I'm not the only one experiencing them. And also I think for early career mentorships, like when you're earlier in your career, you just know less. And it's not just you. It's like everyone in that level or, you know, group. And it's like, the thing that was hard for me was understanding, like, is it because I don't know anything and I'm like relatively new and have no experience? <laughs> or is it because I'm a girl <laughs> and I don't belong here? So that was like my internal imposter thing. For sure. So now you're a mentor to a lot of people. Or, I mean, I don't know how many people, but now you're a mentor. <laughs> now you're many. a mentor yourself. <laughs> yeah. And you've graduated to that. Something that I struggle with is I sometimes feel like I can't be a mentor because I don't have any, I, I don't have any like younger female colleagues that I feel like I have that mentor, like inclination to mentor them. So you're saying that you, a lot of your mentees now are men. Like, how do you, 
how do you navigate that? Sometimes I just feel intimidated even by like the most junior of men. Like they're going to look at me and just think they have nothing to learn from me. That sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> that way. You know what? Um, I've okay. I have mentored. I've mentored two women. I have one ongoing ment- mentorship and I mentored one man. So it's not that most of my mentees are men, but I have played a, like maybe a unofficial mentor role to some other men. But I mean, it's true. Like I find it more meaningful to me or like truer to my experience to connect with the women because sometimes I talk with men and some of the hangups I feel, they don't feel them. (laughs) I feel like sometimes, or for a long time, I carried like a chip on my shoulder. Sometimes I talk with kind of your stereotypical engineer who's a man and they have no glimmer of that. And it's like, wow, is that what it's like to feel like no doubts, you know, (laughs) nothing holding me back, just like completely adjusted and like totally chill and cool. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like I've just kind of peeked into that. I feel like it just depends, like mentorship. It doesn't necessarily have to be like, I'm showing you how to do this thing, like this technical thing. I feel like sometimes it can be about decision-making in your career. I think that's a big part of it, actually. I mentored an intern a couple of summers ago, and we talked about that a lot. Like, you know, he was at Waterloo, and I think he had one more year left. And he was, like, interning in San Francisco for the first time. And he was like, I don't know if I necessarily want to move here. He was from Tor- He's from Toronto. So he was like, I love Toronto. I might want to just stay in Toronto. I might want to move to New York instead. So we talked about that a lot. We talked about what kind of role he wanted. Um, do you like doing this or do you like doing that? Like front end, full stack, infra, mission, like size of the company. You know, everybody wants different things. And something I like about my manager now is that he did a lot of mentorship or uh, he mentored a lot of people. And he just, you know, in the first couple times that I met him, mentioned that everybody has a different career path. <laughs> and he, you know, has seen it, seen a lot of different flavors, you know. So uh, another thing for me as a mentor is I try and connect my mentees with other people I know who have done similar things. I think that's one thing that I do have is I have a big network. I worked on a lot of different teams, so I just know a lot of people. So if they say that they want to try something, you know, there's pretty good odds that I know someone who's done something similar to that or maybe experienced something similar to that or faced the same crossroads in this decision making. So I try and like link people up with that. I also try and give people referrals or try and like connect people if people are looking for jobs. I definitely said that to my mentee. I said, if there's like some someone in my network, even second degree that works at a company you want to work at, like I will go and bug that person for you. <laughs> how, how did you like first put yourself out there as a mentor or like start accepting mentees? Like, did you have like an application process or like, <laughs> I imagine you posting one of those little, this is definitely the wrong reference, but you know, on like telephone poles <laughs> and stuff, people will post little sheets of paper with like their number <laughs> at the bottom. And you like hanging this around the walls of like Microsoft and Uber, but, but no, really like how, how did you go? And I guess also like a follow-up question how did you know that you were ready because you previously had a mentor? How did you know that you were ready to like become a mentor yourself? 
That's a, those are good questions. So the first one, I think the first mentorship I did was through a match program. I think it was either through my alumni group or it was through the women at Microsoft. If there's an ERG at your company, I f- or if you're active in any ERGs at your company, like I think that that's a good place to start as well. So yeah, the first one I did was a match. That girl was really, you know, that girl's really cool. She works at Xbox now. So she was like gamer chick, which is <laughs> cool. And then I interned, or sorry, I mentored an intern. That one, I was like, not so sure I necessarily was like ready to do it. I think I was the last person who joined the team as a full time. So I think that it was like my turn to do it. (laughs) So my manager was like, I'm signing you up for this. So I just did it and it was fine. Another thing, I guess, for just meeting people who if you want to mentor, you're interested in mentoring. I feel like as a woman in tech, I've ended up in a lot of interviews. I don't know if you guys are doing a lot of interviews. I haven't, frankly, I haven't done any in a long time, but I did go through a phase where I did a ton of interviews like all the time. Basically, I became friends with a recruiting coordinator at an ERG event, like for the women's group at Stripe. And then suddenly I had a lot of interviews on my calendar. I was like, I love this. Like, you know, I want to get more women at Stripe. And then I was like in the interview loop and she was putting a lot of things on my calendar. So I, I do feel like, I don't know. I mean, not all companies do this, but sometimes companies care about putting a woman in the interview loop if they're interviewing a woman. I do the Donna thing and I say like, you know, I really like talking with you today, like regardless of the outcome or if you don't join, like we should still keep in touch. I connect with them on LinkedIn. I had a case where I interviewed um, for for that intern position that I was saying that I mentored for and uh, a woman who we really liked actually declined our offer and took a job at Apple. But like, I was so impressed by her. Just like you're saying, I was so impressed by her. I was like, let's keep in touch. And even she was like, yes, let's keep in touch. We had very similar stories and backgrounds with teaching and boot camp, and so we're friends. Like we're friends on LinkedIn. She went to a panel that I was at. Hopefully, she's listening to this podcast. But I, I've definitely used that as a as a way to, um, like you said, you want to pay it forward. Like you know, you want to be the Donna for someone. You want to be like this beacon of like, wow, look at Melinda, look at Taylor. Like I want to be her. You kind of give them hope and show them that you know someone like you can succeed at this job. I mean, I feel like it's just helpful to know people, you know, and, and to talk with people and to have that support. And that's my big thing is like, you know, build your tribe. It it doesn't necessarily have to be at your company. It can be a mix. I feel like working in the Bay area, like a lot of people turn over to different jobs and there's just like a high saturation of people who work in tech. So I guess there's no meetups now, (laughs) but there are like a lot of talks um, and things like that where you could like go and meet people. And I feel like that's also interesting because you can meet someone who doesn't work at your company and maybe has had like a really different path and just like kind of see how they navigate their career, talk to them about their decision making process, um, you know, how they find roles or how like why they're passionate about what they do. It's I don't know. I just think it's interesting and it's networking, but it's not gross networking. Exactly. <laughs> Why do you think Monica and I have this podcast? This is us building our, building our tribe right here. Building You're in network. it, Monica. <laughs> I mean, not Monica. You're in it, Melinda. I mean, I love that I'm in it too. <laughs> Monica, you can be in it too. Thank you. Thank you. Have you been going to like 
more meetups than Melinda? Because I want to make sure that we can cover how we can all sort of keep building or start building our tribe while we're all still kind of isolated and working remotely. I feel like this is the best time to get in touch with people you already know, actually. I feel like it's obviously not a great time to meet people. (laughs) And I think it's hard. I think it's hard to have like a strong meet cute feeling (laughs) in a platonic way (laughs) over Zoom. (laughs) Definitely. And like in a gallery, in a Zoom gallery doing trivia, I don't think it's going to (laughs) happen. Not to say that it could not, but um, yeah, I think now it's been the time that I've been reaching out to people I already know. I'm so flattered when people reach out to me and just so it makes me feel good. It's like the best part of my day. If someone reaches out to me on LinkedIn and is like, Hey, can you help me with this? Like I see your experience at Headspace and whatever. Like I'd love to hear about your, your path. I'm like, yes, of course, let's do it. Or especially like, uh, like Cornell grads or they're about to graduate and they want advice. Like I don't get to do that in my normal job. So it's great when I get a different opportunity to do it outside. Yeah, that's so true. It's interesting, like the non-traditional background. I feel like I, I don't want you to ever feel like that's holding you back from being successful because I feel like that non-traditional background and that non-traditional path is actually kind of like classic hacker path, right? <laughs> like the true hackers are like, I don't need a degree from Cornell to, to do this. <laughs> I can just do it. I can just Google it. <laughs> and it's funny how we have these certain like mental barriers and I don't know sometimes they can just like come full circle you and me Taylor we're we're Mrs. Robot (laughs) it's us hacking into the the elections we covered (laughs) how to find mentees and how to network but like not network like meet people in a cool way what about like being a like acting as a mentor like what are some what is some advice you have for filling that mentorship role I feel like as a mentor, I usually try and set up the cadence and like, and ask what they need. And I think that that's something that you need to know going into looking for a mentor. And also when you're mentoring people, like figure out what their short and long-term goals are, like where they see themselves. This is more of something that one of my managers said to me, but he was like, when I joined the team that I work on now, I'm pretty sure he said, let's figure out like what your long-term goals are. Like, when you leave Uber, what do you want the blurb to say <laughs> on your LinkedIn? I was like, well, that's very like straightforward, but okay. But yeah, I think that's something that I've liked about the management style at Uber. So yeah, I think figuring out their goals. Oh yeah, just like ask leading questions, help them explore their decision-making process. Like what's, you know, what's important to them. It's, so, it's part of its self-discovery, right? It's like figuring out who you want to be and like what you want to be known for and Um, what's important to you or what you think is interesting, what you're passionate about. And I love when like these things come and like bud into collaborations with other people I know, if I can like put someone in contact with someone else and say like, hey, you have this like passion project and you need someone to do this thing. And I know someone who does this thing. And I do a lot of introductions like as a mentor because I feel like I don't have all the answers. I feel like I set up my mentor-mentee relationship with my mentee knowing that she was coming in with a lot of imposter syndrome And so like right off the bat, I just like laid it on the table. Like you might be feeling X, Y, and Z. Like I still feel this sometimes and I'm, you know, 
I've been doing this for five years. So just know like it doesn't go away. And that's important to know also. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it does go, it gets better, but like it's just part of it. You know, you you don't always have all the answers. You have to look things up. You just get comfortable in the struggle. But I feel like I've done that twice now to different mentees where I'm just like, how are you doing? Like, are you feeling overwhelmed? Like I know for me, like I sometimes just feel like, how the heck am I doing this job? And then that they're like, wow, that's exactly how I feel. I'm like, I know it's fine. And then they hear you say it and it just, they, it makes them feel better. I'd like to think to, to take a, just a slight turn. Some of the companies that you've mentioned when I hear them, I think like super male, honestly, kind of scary. And like, like Microsoft to me seems like has been around forever. It seems like it would, it's just like a very attractive company for like, you know, top, top applicants to work at. So that to me says like, it's a lot of men. And then, um, Uber, I mean, especially Uber had a very public sexism scandal. And then now you're in SF working in what is a known to be like this tech bro culture. The, the ratio of men to women is like huge. And I just wonder how it feels for you just working at, you know, some of these companies with that stigma and like how, how you've been able to carve out your place. So working at Uber, one of the big selling points for coming was one of my mentors worked on the team. <laughs> so it just comes full circle with the topic. Yeah, she joined the team and she was selling it really hard to me and told me about how much she loved it. And like, you know, while the technical problems that our team um, works on were, were interesting to her and um, she since moved on, but that was like a very big thing of like joining and feeling like okay about it. Cause I actually didn't know anyone else who worked at Uber at the time. I did know a couple people who like came and went, Oh, okay. It was, I knew her and um, one of my classmates works at Uber or one of my former classmates works at Uber. And then my statistics professor from Cornell is the head of DS at Uber so I was like, okay, I, you know, had enough data points and like talked to enough people to see how they felt about it. Now I, I can only speak to my team's culture. And I think that it's really healthy. Nobody wants to be that guy. You know what I mean? That's the vibe that I get now. <laughs> that's the, actually, like I think that that's like the pretty straw. And I'm just speaking from my experience. So everybody is experiencing different things. And like, unfortunately, a lot of people are experiencing like sexism and sexual harassment. For me, it's been like, no one wants to be that guy. Don't be that guy. That's like the vibe that I get amongst mm, men yeah. now. You bring up a good point of like, sometimes it may not matter. What matters is your, like you're saying, tribe of people. And if you have those go-to, like the most important thing is having those go-to people, like that you trust, that you know you can get good advice from, that you can learn from. As long as you have a couple of those people to shield you and like lift you up, that's really all that matters. There could be all kinds of BS happening on the other side of the organization, but it doesn't really touch you if you have those people. One more question that I want to touch on before we get into our imposter versus all-star moments is just when you're mentoring now, Melinda, if you have a mentee who has imposter syndrome and feels sort of stuck in those loops, what is some advice that you would give to him or her? Something I'm trying to, I'm trying to dig into like, while working from home and just like kind of unplugging from society to some degree is like pre these preconceived notions that we have. I guess for a long time, I felt like what was driving my imposter syndrome and what was like feeding, honestly, my ambition was like validation. I was like, I need this validation. It's like, I need all this validation so that I can like get out of this imposter syndrome debt 
<laughs> which was like really underlying, you know, taking the time to like love myself or like believe in myself. Right. So yeah. Anyway, if, <laughs> if someone told me that they had imposter syndrome, I think one of the big things that I told myself often, like early in my career was like, you can be your own enemy or be your own ally. And it was that conscious decision to like be my ally. And so I was like, I'm not going to like let the pressure around me like trigger myself to self-destruct because I felt like the imposter syndrome and like the low self-esteem was just holding me back. And like, you know, nobody wants to act from a place of insecurity. And like, I just hated feeling that way and hated being that person. So I was like, I'm just going to be my own ally and like, and then show up for myself. Um, and then a couple other things, I feel like imposter syndrome is like a negative internal narrative and it like cycles. It's like this terrible thing that just pops into your head and it's unconscious. Like you don't choose to feel that way. You know, it's just, it comes up and you're like, here I am again, thinking these awful things about myself. So I say like inject some positive self-talk and also like, you know, snap out of it a little bit. Like it's work. It doesn't have to be everything your your worth is not determined in your work you know like do a good job so you feel good about it who you are and your your title and your salary like it's not everything of who you are you know so I think that that's like an important thing to snap out of it like talk and I I talk to my family a lot I think when I'm feeling super imposter and like super super down about myself I'm I talk to people who know me and love me unconditionally and I'm like all right I have to like get it together and do that for myself so yeah try and inject some positive self-talk like if it feels cheesy that might mean that you need it <laughs> you know if it feels cheesy and uncomfortable to say something or think something nice about yourself like you need to do it more often I I've started doing that when I do do things where I like finally get it I'm just like like I try to over celebrate myself and even like to my team like I'll post a screenshot and be like yes like look at this I did it just even to myself like be like yes I did this like I am a badass like I didn't know how to do this 10 minutes ago and I just fucking did it and like I'm the best and you could just keep doing that and then you start really thinking it Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think one thing that kept me in the imposter cycle loop for so long was believing that um, it was just good luck. And that's something that they say about imposter syndrome, too. You're like, oh, I just got here because of luck or circumstance. And like, it was a mistake that I ended up here. And so I feel like when and software engineering is like fun, because you create something out of nothing. And so you create something out of nothing, you make something happen, like that's big. And if it was you who did it, like definitely celebrate it. I don't do it enough. I think that I should work on that too. But I'm glad that you do that because I feel like that's, you know, those days don't come often. There's a lot more days when you're like, you know, down in the weeds and there's not a lot of days that you ship stuff. So For sure. That sounds like a great segue into our imposter versus all-star moments for the week. Melinda, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I have an imposter moment for sure. I feel like I'd say that in my day-to-day -day life, I don't feel it so much, but I definitely like kind of went down this imposter rabbit hole recently um, where I've been up for promo and like kind of like trying to work towards this promotion for the last couple months. And I was like really anxious about not getting it. Um, 
And I was so frustrated of like the will they or won't they. So part of imposter syndrome is like the fear that the people around you will discover that you're an imposter. And then it was a mistake that you ended up where you are. And I felt like they already discovered it. You know, I was like telling myself that my career is stalled and everyone knows it except for me. And I need to just quit. <laughs> it was like I, I I was like I was like I'm so frustrated and like upset and I like hate that I put all this work into it and I still don't know and I was like I was like maybe I should just quit and then <laughs> and then I was like wait I have no other skills <laughs> so that was my big moment so I snapped out of it I was like okay came full circle here <laughs> I'm in it <laughs> so that was good. <laughs> My all-star moment is that I got the promotion. <laughs> LOL. LOL, Melinda. <laughs> it's so true. Sometimes you just need the validation of someone else to be like, no, you're really good. And I'm like, really? You think so? Yeah. <laughs> I feel I'm trying to snap out of it, but I would like literally like before this year, literally, I would fantasize about validation. And now I'm just like, now I catch myself doing it. And I'm like, don't do that anymore. But then something I do do is um, when people give me written feedback, like written positive feedback, I keep it. (laughs) I'm just like, so on those shitty days, I like look at that stuff. And I'm like, you know, the way that I work and like the work that I do, like it matters to people. And I feel like that's like a small thing that can help me like feel better get out of a work slump. I've definitely heard of people having like a compliment folder on their desktop. Like it's literally right on the desktop and then they just drag every <laughs> little screenshot in there. And then when you need to pick me up, you go look at it. And then that's great to show your manager yeah. when you're up for a promotion. Look at all these great things people say about me daily. I actually have, I'll give two all-star moments this week. We, we've been planning a lot of stuff and I've been kind of repeating work and doing throwaway work. So it hasn't been that exciting, but I had to do, I was talking about last week, my imposter moment was I had to like build a custom layout. Usually I just use like the built-in classes and and don't have a reason to like rebuild it. And I literally had to rebuild the layout, like frame by frame, cell by cell, like all this stuff. And I got it from being in a little, the whole layout in this tiny little box in the corner to like, got it all laid out, figured it out, learned a lot in the process about how those things work under the hood anyway. So that was awesome. And then when I finally got it working, it was just one of those like, woo moments where I just like celebrated myself. And then I work on, on this a side project. It's not my side project. It's a, just like a consulting gig that I have when we have work off on Fridays. I just work at this company like every other Friday and it's a like fitness app basically. And I got to integrate health kit and like the guy who I was working with didn't even really know how to do it. And was just like, I don't even know how this works, but like integrate health kit. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but I'm just going to read about it and figure it out. And I got it to the point where like you do a workout in the app and it like tracks all your calories and your workout for the day. And it's just cool. Cause I use that, you know, on my like iPhone, you know, you look at your steps and your heart rate and like you you look at that stuff. And I, you know, built like an actual thing in an app that, that did that. So it's cool when you like see things that you actually use and then figure out how they work. So good about that. That's great. Yeah. Exciting. Let me do, I'll do my imposter first, save the best for last. There was, oh, there was an experiment that we launched recently and there was just some confusion over 
bucketing and I was getting asked all of these questions about why isn't it even? Why are we seeing more people in this variation versus this variation? And I knew I, I was I was familiar with the code and we had kind of made sort of like a last minute change to make sure only certain types of users were even exposed to the uh, the test in the first place. But just getting fielded all of these questions from different people it took over my entire day. So I wasn't able to get like anything else done. And also really like made me doubt so much of the work that I had done leading up to this. And I tested it so many times on my own, even though, you know, I really didn't have to, like I had tests that I had written for that exact case. And so that was weird. My all-star moment is for a new feature that I'm working on. I had to write some dreaded technical documentation last week. We've like, Taylor and I have talked about this before, how much we kind of like roll our eyes when we have to write technical documentation. And so I did, I kind of like threw it together towards the end of last week and put all of these like resources together and had a separate document where I put all my, uh, my estimates. And I thought I had like met the criteria for what was being requested. And I just kind of posted it in our team Slack channel. I got so many people being like, oh my God, like this is, this is great. This should be the template for how everyone has to write technical documentation. That is definitely like my ultra moment and the highlight, but like, of course, because I still struggle with like self-doubt and imposter syndrome, the first thought in my mind was like, am I being gaslit? Like, this can't be <laughs> that good. Like, like, are they saying this because I didn't follow the correct template? <laughs> and that's their way of telling me? <laughs> and I'm like trying to coach myself through it and be like, no, like, this is a good job and you deserve to be proud, proud of this technical document. Well, thank you, Melinda, for joining us. It kind of sucks that we all have the same experience, even though it does feel pretty comforting. You know, now we're each other's tribe and we can just lean on each other for um, for support in those in those dark times. So I'm glad I'm glad to have you. Thanks for having me. It was super fun talking with you all today. I'm always here if you ever want to talk and um, if you ever want to reach out, just let me know. Amazing. Thank you so much, Melinda. And thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. And we will talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.